Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, Katie and I are going to discuss the stumbling block that can oftentimes get in our path, and that stumbling block is idolizing our family and disproportionately valuing our relationships here within our home and the discipleship that takes place in this home, rather than viewing family as God wants us to view it. Obviously, we think family is amazing and that God has ordained it and that he cares deeply about it. I mean, come on, we call this podcast the Now That We're a Family podcast. So we think highly of family, but sometimes that can uh, we can think too highly of it. Anyways, we're going to talk about our experience growing up. We're going to talk about how we think about it now. And hopefully you're able to gain some insight, encouragement, maybe even some edification from this episode. Okay, let's get going. Hey, I'm Elisha Votberg. And I'm his wife, Katie. Katie and I both grew up in families that were fun, impactful, and relationship rich. Now that we're a family of our own with three young children under the age of three, we're eager to see what God can do through the family unit. We're so excited that you're joining us on this podcast as we dive into what the Bible says about marriage, children, parenting, money, sex, careers, roles, and so much more. Katie, are you ready? Let's go. This was such a fun and full weekend because Elisha had his birthday, his 30th birthday. 30 years old. And he did run those 30 miles on his 30th birthday. That's right. Had we told people on the podcast that I was going to do that? Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe we had mentioned that. Yeah. We talked last week about you turning... 30. So I don't know if we mentioned that or not, but that was a goal of Elisha's and you ended up doing it with eight minute in eight minute. ah, Your pace is eight minutes and 30 seconds, which was awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, ish. Yeah. Eight minutes. What was it? 40 seconds? I think it was like eight. No, it was was around 830. Yeah. Around 830. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive for 30 miles if you ask me. And well, I'll just ask you then. Yeah. Good. (laughs) And he didn't have water for the last seven miles because apparently that got overlooked. So, well, you know what? I've got no room to complain and I've got every reason to thank my lovely wife for even finishing that 30 mile run because it's kind of embarrassing to me now how naive I was about running that distance because I, the furthest I had ran prior to the 30 miles was 18 miles And I thought that it was going to be kind of like that. And it was kind of like that for 18 miles. (laughs) And then after 18 miles, it was much different than that. And that's what I was not prepared for. Yeah. Elisha told me, he's like, Katie, you don't need to do anything for this. Cause I was like, where, like, what's your course? I need to be able to like be your aid station person and give you water. And he was like, or Gatorade or, you know, whatever. 
And he was like, no, just put some Gatorade on the porch. I'll do a 15-mile loop. And at 15 miles, I'll take a drink, and then I'll run the next 15 miles. And I was like, that is not going to work. You're going to be dehydrated somewhere, like, cramping up. Yeah, that and that's true. I think that would have happened. Yeah. 30 and miles is a long way. Well, and also, I decided to do just a long out and back. So I did 15 miles out and then 15 miles back. So I would have been, like, gone, lost somewhere 15 yeah, that's miles from worried. home. Dead. <laughs> that's what I was worried about. Yeah. So anyways, it was pretty fun. And we ended up having, I kind of overwhelmed Elisha a little bit, probably. But we had a surprise birthday party. Yes. Okay. I need to say how awesome Katie is. She had been planning. That was your cue. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I picked up on that. I'm no. totally <laughs> uh, Katie surprised me big time. Like very, she did a very good job in planning a huge surprise, not just like birthday party, but like a birthday weekend for me, a birthday weekend celebration. Uh, and it was all kind of planned around my 30 mile run. Cause I had decided to do this run like six weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And, and at that point, Katie decided to plan a birthday, a surprise birthday weekend for me with all of my family and all of Katie's family, none of which live in our town. Yeah. Like my sister and brother-in-law flew out from Kentucky. Wow. We had relatives drive six hours, a grandparents drive yes. almost seven hours. Yeah. Wow. Um, some of my family drove four hours. Yeah. Like no one was in state. Yes. Nobody. Yeah. Everybody drove at least four hours. Four hours was the shortest drive to my it, birthday party. Yeah. It was just really, really humbling and sweet to just see the support and the effort that people took to get Airbnbs and hotels and drive and yeah, make wow. it work. It was just, you know, I thought if I could get a couple people to show up and surprise Elisha, that'd be so fun. I was thinking maybe a couple of the single siblings or something. And then when everyone got back to my text message and was like, yeah, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. It was just like mind blowing. Yeah. Also, Katie, did, she made it really fun, too, because I left on my 30 mile run at eight in the morning and Katie came to walk to send me off. And she's like, OK, I'll, you know, I'll drive and meet you somewhere and bring you some nutrition and some hydration. And I set off to run. And then at mile um I guess it would have been mile seven. I was coming off this trail. My sister Liddy was there with her daughters, like cheering me on. And my sister Liddy and her daughters live six and a half hours away. Yeah. Which is just, so it just blew my mind that they were there cheering for me. I was like, no way. And they gave me a high five. And so I was all jazzed about that. And then at mile nine, my parents were there with two of my brothers and they joined me on my run. Well, one of them did. Vance joined me and he just started running with me. And he, he ended up running, like, what, like 14 miles with me, which was awesome. Yeah, he ran a big middle stretch there. Yeah. And then at mile 12, my sister Annie joined me. She was on the side of the road. We were running along Lake Coeur d'Alene. And, uh, and she joined me. And she actually, okay, yeah, I need to have a huge shout out to my sister Annie. Because I literally, and I mean this so literally, would not have finished my run without my sister Annie. Like my brother Vance was a huge support. He made the run really enjoyable in that middle stretch. But then my sister Annie joined me at mile 12 and coached me like the, well, I mean, she, she, and then she ran the rest of the race with me, so, a run with me. So that's 18 miles. And she coached me the last like seven miles when I was dying. She like just did not stop talking to me as I was running and my body was totally failing me. And I was like doubling over and cramping up and, 
you know, I don't know, barfing my guts out. When all those things were happening, she just didn't stop talking to me through the finish line. And so that was really encouraging and fun. It was um, pretty awesome. And then everyone was at the finish line. We had a big meal. Yes. And because everyone was out of town, they all stayed for a while. So yep. that was just, it was just really, really special. And today we're getting back in the swing of things. Yes. Our last guest left this morning. And we're just so grateful, too, to have this home, to be able to have people stay and to be able to host because oh, we've yeah. never had that opportunity before. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't have been possible for us to put something like this together. Right. So I'm just really grateful. And it's been a really fun season of hosting mm-hmm. and being able to have people in our home. Yes. It's been a huge blessing. And I was really proud of Elisha. Thank you, Katie. You know, it, in addition to me being like totally blessed that Katie put on this huge surprise, it was also kind of nerve wracking that she's able to do so much without me knowing in our life. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You're like booking flights and I don't know, <laughs> renting like huge, like you were going to the party rental and spending all sorts of money and like, which was for me and like, I don't know, there was so much going on that I was ignorant to. It was kind of, I don't know, it kind of terrifies me a little bit. (laughs) I mean, obviously I trust you, but I just don't know what else you're doing. So, Well, I tell you what, yeah, you logged into the bank account today, huh? I did. (laughs) So I don't even know what I spent because I don't even know how to log into the bank account. I don't know the number. And you played that off well too, because you told me you bought me a birthday present that you told me like 10 days ago, you bought me a birthday present. And so you asked me to not log on to our banking yes to one of our banking accounts so that i so that it wouldn't give it away elisha checks the bank accounts like by the hour no i don't <laughs> yes, Stop you it. Do. that's not true <laughs> three times a day no <laughs> so uh, i was like he's gonna see every new update uh and so i was like oh okay that's sweet she got me a birthday present so i won't check but little did i know she was moving in a whole army with that money <laughs> Stop. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk, though, about family because family's been on our mind mm. and hearts and it's in our house. Yep, it's what we it's what we are. It's what we're doing every day. It's what we've done for the last week is yeah. hang out with family. Yeah. Uh, now we're back to our own little family, which seems so quiet and chill. Mm. And it's been really sweet to just reconnect with the kids again on a deeper level. And so I want to hear what you have to say about this, though, Elisha, because you've been the one that's really been thinking about this yeah and i mean like you, you said it's you know relevant to to both of our lives and we're thinking about it and living it nonstop. uh but i think the issue that got brought to my attention this weekend was actually katie mentioned that uh her sister and, and our brother and brother-in-law adam and kyla came out from kentucky and they stayed with us which was really say, fun kyla flew out a couple of days early to help me yes that was, that a big was deal. amazing that was amazing um but but again, that didn't give the party away because I thought that Kyle was just coming out to see Katie. I thought yeah. it was totally unrelated. So, anyways, uh, we were talking with Kyla and Adam, and Adam mentioned something about, and I don't even remember the context of our conversation. But he he made a statement along the lines of, you know, so often, or not so often, but sometimes you'll see fathers and mothers put too high a value on family to a point where it becomes like an idol to them. And they start valuing their family over maybe who they are in the church. And maybe they value family more than who they are in Christ and what he calls them to be. And it's funny because I've heard statements along those lines probably my entire life. And they were usually directed at my father. And so people would tell my dad this and maybe that message would be passed on. 
you know, to our home. And I've even had pastors sit me down and tell me that my, my father was disproportionately valuing the family and he was, you know, taking too much pride in it and it was becoming an idol to him. And that was giving me a distorted view of my role in the church. Um, I've had a couple, yeah, two in particular sit downs by pastors. Yeah, one, one told you that about my dad. Yeah. And then one told me about, <laughs> yeah, one pastor told me that about my dad and Katie's dad. And so he said that, you know, it was just going to be a huge battle for me to, um, I guess not have the same shortcoming and view my family in an unhealthy way. And, uh, and he was doing it out of love, I think trying to, you know, obviously give me some warning, but I've never responded well to this type of, um, I guess, exhortation or reproof or whatever you want to call it. And I think part of it is because one, I get defensive for my dad and I get defensive for my father-in-law, uh, cause I love them and I respect them a ton. And I do think that people are quick to cast judgment that don't know them. We, we, we all do that to people that we don't know. Well, we don't know the ins and out of, and we see a sliver of their life and we cast judgment. And usually it's not, you know, we're, we're so inaccurate so often. And so when I sense this happening to my family or to my families, I would get defensive. And Katie, wouldn't you say too that I think it's easy to get defensive because you you see the opposite being the truth far more often than like you well, see people neglecting their families far more than you see fathers overemphasizing their families. Yeah, I was going to say I'm curious to see where you're going with this. Honestly, yeah. I'm just kind of like sitting back and listening because I do think you're right in the fact that obviously idolizing anything right. above Christ is is wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you've said, I see more of an emphasis typically placed on idolizing the church body yeah. over family and being active in the church body at the expense of the family. Right. And I don't think that that's the structure that God's laid out either. Right. And I think that's hard when you see missionaries and then their marriages fall apart and their children fall apart and leave or you see kids not walking with the Lord because their dad was so involved as a pastor in the church Mm -hmm. and he never had time for them. And you just see that head of the home being so vital in Mm. a family's life and in leading them. And so there's, there's just a balance there for sure. And knowing and knowing what to prioritize when. And so I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this, I guess, because you and I have always leaned so heavily on the family side and in prioritizing that because we see the family falling apart everywhere. Right. But yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that we see, we, you and I view this issue pretty like mindedly. And, and even when my brother-in-law Adam brought it up and I didn't love it because I've never loved it when this has been brought up. Um, I, my, my brother Adam and I, like we talk all the time and we see pretty, Id- I mean, we just like really agree with each other. That's yeah, why we I like talking like with each agree, other, so you, you know? Out. Yeah. It's like when you want to feel good about how you believe about something, I just like call Adam and he's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and so we talk all the time and we, and we see eye to eye, but for, for whatever reason, when he brought this up, I was like, ah, oh, gosh, like, like I still don't like hearing that. I don't like hearing that, you know, it's, it's wrong to, overemphasize your family or to idolize your family and to view it in the wrong light. 
so anyways, I've been thinking about it a lot since, since this was brought up and I've just been reading my Bible through that lens of how we are to view our family. And I, and I even listened to a couple sermons regarding family and the church. And I think it's been really cool to have a, a perspective through this lens. Once again, I want to hold it open-handedly. I don't want to close my fist regarding my view of family. Cause like what you said, Katie, uh, we see this happen in the church, you know, the, the, the phrase pastors, kids has its connotation for a reason, you know, and it's unfortunate that within evangelical America, pastors, kids do not have a reputation for carrying on the faith and being virtuous people. You know, like that's not what they're known for. That doesn't mean that there's not awesome pastors, kids, obviously these are all stereotypes. Um, but there, it seems like there's a reason for that stereotype. And that's really unfortunate, especially with that being a qualification for a pastor or an elder or a deacon. And that is to keep his home, to be a keeper of his home. We're told in First Timothy and in Titus that if a man cannot keep his own, you know, his own family in order, then he's not appropriate for that position. You know, that's inappropriate for a person in the position of church leadership to not have his family and his household in order. So there's clearly this high value put on the family. But we're going to look at some verses that kind of, I think, tell us how we are to look at the family and what the context is supposed to be. Cool. Are you excited, Katie? Yeah. Uh, so first off, yes, I think that there are Bible verses that talk directly to marriage. They talk directly to child training, to raising up our children. And something that I find that's interesting is that the most common ones are written to the church, right? You know, we've got these epistles that Paul that Paul wrote to the church, and we, we there's so many awesome exhortations there. And so first off, the context of anybody reading these, when, when Paul writes these letters and he's sending them off, he's assuming that the church is going to be, you know, somebody's going to be reading this at the church, like in a corporate gathering, a setting where people know they're a part of this body. And I think that sometimes because of the blessing of God's word being canonized and accessible to us through, you know, the canonized scripture, you know, the great invention of the printing press made it possible for us and then obviously technology as it's gone on we're able to have the word of god in our hand and have it like personalized and so we can be sitting in a quiet corner reading the bible like it's written to us and so much of it is like it's an individual thing in the sense that it's between us and god as to whether or not we've got a saving faith however when you are a christian you then become a part of this body that is the bride of Christ. And so you're no longer like, Oh, just saved off on this Island. And you're viewed as an individual, you know, that God's going to talk to just individually over here. It's like, no, you're now a part of this bride and this collective group of his saints. And that's what these books are written to. They're written to that body of believers. And so whether or not you think, okay, it's better to, you know, you look at these instructions and say, this is specifically to a parent. And you're like, well, yeah, it is specifically to a parent, but it's a specifically to a parent that's sitting in a church. It's a part of a church. It's part of a church body because they're blood bought Christian. And so I think that context, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but you're totally right. How these are written originally to people. They were going to hear them in church. Yeah. And I don't know if it changes the any meaning, but it definitely, well, it changes the context for sure, which can, I think can change the way that you interpret how these things are said and how they're taught Mm -hmm. and let's take you know the 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 famous ephesians passages about husbands loving their wives as christ loved the church and washing them 
uh, with the, you know, wash them in their word, like, like it is water. And then later on saying, you know, children obey your parents. And, and it says, parents don't, um, frustrate your children, you know, fathers provoke, not your children to wrath. Yeah, exactly. Lest they, lest they be discouraged. Yeah. Lest they be discouraged. Uh, those come late in the book, chapter five and, and chapter six, those exhortations to husbands and to, uh, fathers and to mothers and to children and all those things. And, the first chunk of that book is just really talking about, it talks about a lot of things. So I don't want to like simplify this with over generalizations, but something it does do is it states these indicatives of who we are in Christ, you know, before, and this is so common in the Bible. You know, we, we know this, that whenever there's an imperative, there's usually an indicative kind of around there real close to it, either right before it or right after us telling us why, you know, saying be, you know, Christ he tells us be ye holy as Christ is holy. And then like, but then right before and right after, it's telling us, well, because you are holy in Christ. So he's saying, act holy, but on both sides of that, he's saying, in Christ, you are holy. You know, that's how Christ views you. Mm-hmm. So act this way. And, you know, walk freed from sin. And then right before that, it's telling you, it's because you're dead to sin. You know, mm-hmm. sin no more. And sin, yeah, well, because you died to sin. And now you are alive in Christ. And so whenever we see these imperatives about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, there's usually an indicative before they're telling us why we're supposed to do that and telling us who we are and why we're capable of doing that first and foremost. And so the whole first, you know, chapter one, two, and three of Ephesians talks so much about who we are in Christ. He says he's brought us into the household of God there mm-hmm. in saying that we are, we are now seated at the right hand of God. He, called, he uses family verbiage so much in the first part of Ephesians saying, you know, the the results of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and then your faith in that has now brought you into the household of God. And again, he's talking to a, to a gathering. He's talking to a church here. So this is all happening before he gets to these imperatives of, now husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now what's crazy is that it's clear that the wife and the husband, yes, they're married, but they're also both a part of Christ's bride. And so not only should we view our spouses as a spouse and something that we are to pour into because we're one with them according to God's word, they're also a part of the they're a, they're part of the bride of Christ. They're a part part of His eternal family, mm-hmm. and so not only are you called to love them, you're discipling someone that's a part of Christ's body. And so much of ministry is centered around discipleship, right? I know it's not the only thing about ministry. There's evangelism and there's, I guess, teaching and there's other parts, but discipleship is a huge part of what the ministry is about Mm -hmm. but very rarely are we told exactly who we are to disciple but that is a privilege that we have as husbands and wives because we are told specifically to disciple husbands are told specifically to disciple your wife say washer in the word Mm -hmm. and so if you're overlooking that direct imperative command to disciple your wife in other words, pour into your wife, wash her in the word, make sure she's growing and vibrant and learning and overflowing with the fruits of the spirit. If you're overlooking that for the sake of an outside ministry, then you're going to have to answer to God for that. Cause he's like, yes, no, of course there's ministry that's going to come to you in various forms, but I told you specifically to disciple this one yeah. and now you're going to overlook this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I think it's the same thing as it goes on to raising up our children. Yes, there's numerous ministry opportunities out there that we can find, 
but we're told specifically to train up our children in the way that they should go. And we're told specifically, fathers, disciple your children and to provoke them not to wrath like what you talked about. And so, again, this is in the context of being a part of the church. And so I'm not saying which one's more important or which one's less important. I'm saying they're like one in the same. Mm-hmm. And so, go ahead. <laughs> well, I really like, I guess, how you're pointing out just the context for all these things. It's already assumed that you're a part of a church body. Yeah, that's right. It's just an assumption. And I think that both of us grew up, well, I feel like our parents placed a role on going to church at a certain point. Hmm. Like both of our dads are just like, okay, we're just going to go to church every week because yeah. we go to church every week. That's right. But I never really valued the church Mm. ever yeah actually right probably until we've been married and we've had some church experiences that i valued i always was wanting to not go if we could right yeah if we could just kind of like okay let's let's watch something at home i'll do my bible time at home Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a really high value placed on personal quiet times and again i think that was in reaction to seeing so many people going to church for their spiritual edification Mm -hmm. and their spiritual teaching and then kind of categorizing jesus into this sunday two-hour time block yes and then going home and forgetting about anything you learned or like not developing that relationship on your own yeah, and not seeking God on a daily basis. Right. I think that was also in a response to, uh, what do you call it? Like subbing out like fathers and mothers. Yeah. Kind of punting the responsibility, punting the responsibility of training children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to someone, to a youth pastor, or yeah. to children's church, or to yeah. someone else saying, well, they're going to teach my kids about the Bible, mm. and not taking that role on themselves. Yes. And like you're saying, as it points out in Ephesians, that's a really important part of being a parent, right. is that daily training, yes. and training kids up in the Lord. So yeah. it's just, I think it's interesting to just look at this and see kind of the response, like a high value placed on certain things, but I never felt a high value being placed on the church. Yeah. It might. On like church attendance. I right. Guess, I yes. should say, but that said, I do think it's very important. I think my parents thought it was important. I just never really grasped why. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I think that my upbringing was similar and my, and therefore my mindset regarding church was pretty similar. And that is both of our fathers were kind of, um, they wanted to be countercultural in how they raised their children. And they not, wanted to be counter-Christian cultural. Yeah, and not just for countercultural sake. Yes. They wanted to just follow the Bible. They wanted to follow, follow the and Bible. And as a result, that ended up looking countercultural. Yes. It wasn't just like, oh, we're going to do something different just to be edgy. That's right. That's right. And they also knew that they didn't like the fruit they were seeing from the more commonly uh, taken path, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, my dad was very intentional in reading the word at home. My mom was intentional in having the word be a part of our homeschooling every day. And when you, and that wasn't always the case at, at church, meaning that's not what was emphasized from the pulpit was, you know, parents, you should build up your children. It, the emphasis, at least in the churches that w- we went to were, you know, get your children in, in children's church or in youth group. 
um, and get them into the programs. Like that's your responsibility as the parent yes. is to get them there. To get them there. And then we'll let the professionals, you know, quote unquote, uh, take care of their discipleship. And this is, I love youth pastors. I love pastors. Obviously they're playing a huge role. My brother-in-law is a youth pastor. I love people in the ministry. I love <laughs> people. I love youth pastors. Yeah, I love everybody. <laughs> I don't know, uh, what is this? No, well, I, I, I felt no, like I was like, is, like speaking badly of well, youth it's pastors. it's not their fault. It's not, yes. Youth pastors have an incredible role placed in their life. Yes. But it's not fair to them either to be like, well, here's my kid. Like, yeah. make sure they know Jesus. Right. Yeah. Or just take care of their discipleship. Take make care sure of their they know discipleship the Bible. one yes. day a week with yes. 75 other kids or right. whatever else they're doing yeah. with all their games and songs and all the other stuff and right. make sure they develop this deep relationship with the Lord. Like, yeah. that's just not a fair thing to ask of anyone else when it's our responsibility as a parent. Yeah. So it's definitely not like the professional's fault. Right. Um, I agree. And then secondly, um, I think that in my young adult life, I would ask the question, do I, do I need to go to church? Like, and rather than asking, do I need to go to church? I I did, I view like, no, that's what Christians do. It's not a need or are you feeling spiritually dry right now? So maybe she'll get plugged in or maybe you feel like you need to give. I'm feeling really encouraged. So I need to give Oh, so I'll go to church and give. It's not like depending on how you're doing in your faith, whether or not you should go to church. It's just what Christians do. They assemble together as the brethren. And are there benefits from it? Absolutely. Do we do it because of the benefits? Well, no, not necessarily. We do it because we're told to by God. And we do it because that's what Christians do. They gather together and they worship God together corporately and they assemble together for the preaching of the word, for the edification of the saints. And they overlook each other's differences yeah exactly the things that you don't agree with that's right because i think that has been a big hang up for a lot of i mean this might depending on your background whoever's listening to this you might be like well duh we go to church right we go to church every single week that's just a part of what we do especially if you're like back in the south the culture in certain populations is very we go to church, right. we go to church. You do it almost out of habit because that's what everyone else is doing. Right. And there can be kind of a danger in that. But out here in the West, I know so many Christians who do not go to church yeah, or who go, you know, once every three weeks. Like when uh, the first year Elisha and I were married, this is kind of how that conversation got brought up with Adam. We went to church we didn't go to church our first year of marriage, really. Yeah, maybe a few times and in the first year. And were we Christians? Year. Yes. Did our did our uh, faith struggle or slip behind and not really become a priority? Yes. In yeah, that and that first was, year. And maybe that wasn't solely due to church, you know, because there's been other seasons where we haven't gone to church and our personal faith was thriving. That's true. And so my whole point was, it's not it's not because one over the other. It's not like, oh, I'm backslidden now or I'm feeling far from God it's probably time to go back to church and you don't say Does it's that just sense? something it's that just we do Christians as a Christian. Do. Yeah. Yes. And I think the danger in that is that people think, Oh, well what, what do you, so it just becomes a religious, you know, I guess, um, obligatory activity every week. And on one hand, the obligatory part is, well, yeah, we are obligated to as Christians and to our fellow brethren, but we're not doing this to earn any righteousness. We're not doing it to improve our status or to, and to approve our, st- our place before God. That is set in stone by the blood of Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. 
but we are this new creation in Christ. And as a part of that new identity, this is just something that we do. And, you know, I've used this example before, but when, if you were to adopt a child and Katie and I have not, but we've got some close friends that have, um, if you were going to maybe go to a poverty stricken nation and adopt a child, they would come and they probably would be thrilled, Lord willing, you know, say they're five years old or six years old, or say they're 10 years old. And <laughs> do you want to, do you want them to be a different age, Katie? No, you know, I'm good with either of okay. those ages. Okay. So I'm going to go with 10. Let's go ahead and stick with 10 years of age. You'd bring them into your household. And the reason I use this example is because we are called adopted by God. God has adopted us and brought us into his household. Now, our adoption is not contingent upon our behavior after the adoption. Just like if you adopted this 10-year-old child and they came into your home and they weren't eating properly, they weren't using good manners at the dinner table, you wouldn't unadopt them. and But you would still expect them and train them to eat according to how they're, you're supposed to eat in your household. And you're doing this because they are a part of your family, not because you're trying to get them to earn their place in your family or keep their place in your family, mm-hmm. but because they are a part of your family, then you would want them to eat with the same manners that everybody else in the household eats. And you'd want them to maybe get up and kind of operate in the schedule of the household that is everybody else does. And this is not contingent upon their place in your home, but it's because they are a part of your home that they're doing this. And I think it's the nice. same that we are adopted into Christ's family. And so we should act accordingly because we are adopted into his home. And oftentimes we find every reason possible to not go to church. Because let me tell you, the reasons are easy to find this day and age. You can say, you can find things that are wrong with the teaching, with the worship, with the people that are going there, with the form of the service, how they do communion, whether they do communion, you know, if they whether do baptisms. Or not. Yeah, exactly. There's every reason COVID. possible to not go to church. And like you can find reasons and feel good about yourself for it. Because maybe they have one doctrinal view that you have a reason to disagree with. And so you say, that's good enough reason to not go to church there. Or as a parent, it's really easy for me to be like, I've just had a huge week. I'm going to have a big week. Or the kids were up last night. Yeah. Make like physical excuses. Yeah. Not even having a problem with the church body. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Um, And I think that that's something that I'm so guilty of. I'm so prone to doing that saying, okay, well, you know what? I got to take care of my family and this church, they, that youth pastor gets on my nerve or, you know, the women's ministry lady is annoying and I don't want her to influence my wife, whatever it is, you know, (laughs) so I'm not going to go to church. Um, and, and I, and I, that's my reason to not go, but that's just not what you do as a Christian. You go to church and if you can't find a church that you agree with and that's, then you're probably the problem because there's just a lot of Christians out there. And the point is to gather together as the Christians, not to find a perfect church. Anyways, I'm, t- I'm saying this to me, because like if you were to look at our church attendance record over the last, since our marriage. Perfect score. We would, yeah, we'd be failing at this point. It's, it's below 50%. <laughs> yeah, this is something that we're feeling challenged by. Yes, that's currently. the whole reason I'm bringing this that's up. That's why we're sharing it, is we're like, oh, we're feeling convicted Big time. about idolizing family. Yes. And swinging to the other side of the pendulum. Yes. Pendulum, yeah. Pendulum, yeah, yeah. is what I hear you saying. Exactly. That's that's exactly why I'm saying all these things. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is children with you in church. Um, this is a question that we actually got a while back, and somebody asked why we, why we value having our children in church with us. And there's a couple practical things that 
just one, we like being together as a family. We like our children seeing their father, their father and mother learning and singing to God and witnessing that in a firsthand experience. And we like the child training opportunity that it provides for us to sit with our children and them to learn self-control and sitting quietly throughout the course of a service. And I also like that we're just together, you know, physical proximity when you're a family does matter. And so much of our culture just divides the family. Everybody's got their own programs and it's going their own directions. Yeah, according. It's like every experience you have is split up. Right. And so here you're given this opportunity to be together and worship together as a family and sing to God and then to hear from God's word together. Um, and so we want to take every opportunity to do that. We really cherish that opportunity. Again, this isn't that common in Western Christianity. Their, their church no. is all about. It'll kind like, of depend, honestly, on what church we choose if people really try to pressure us into sending our kids to children's church yeah. and like have an issue with them being in the service and or like, oh, well, they're going to be an interruption. Or I mean, we obviously are really on top of it not being a distraction, but kids in a service are going to change up the service. <laughs> like regardless of how well behaved they are, they are going to maybe need to get taken out more yep. stuff like that. So they do affect the experience of the church service. Yes. And we want a place where children are really welcomed and seen as a blessing in that environment and not just to be like hidden away and taught necessarily only at their own level. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think those are some of our reasons for wanting to have our children in church with us. But I also do think that the Bible speaks to this, even if you kind of go back to what I was talking about with these epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. I mean, the fact that he's writing to a church and he addresses children specifically kind of implies that children are going to be there with the congregation. He addresses fathers, he addresses mothers, he addresses men, he addresses women, and then he addresses children. He does it multiple times in his letters, and then John does it as well. You know, in, in the books of 1 John, you know, Colossians 3.20 says specifically, Children, he's saying children, comma, listen up, obey your parents, for it is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you know, then he goes on to talk to fathers. Fathers, you know, do not provoke your children. And it's the same thing in Ephesians when it says, and this is Ephesians 6.1, and it goes, Children, obey your parents. And so I just picture like, the pastor or the elder at that church in the corporate gathering, he's reading this book that this letter that Paul wrote and he's saying, Oh children, this part's specifically to you right here. You're in the service. Listen to what Paul says, you know, as inspired by the Holy spirit, this is what he's saying to you. And I think that so much of scripture is just to written to the general person, right? We can read it as it's written to us, but then when it gets specific, you want to take note of that. When it's specifically fathers or specifically husbands or specifically wives, you just kind of sit up straight and you think, oh, wait a second. He's talking specifically to me right now. And the fact that that happens to children in these epistles, to me, really, it tells me that God does desire for the children to be viewed as part of the corporate gathering, the corporate congregation or the local church. They're not like I just don't see the fact that he's addressing the children in such a specific manner tells me that they weren't in a different room watching Veggie Tales while the parents were hearing the real message. Yeah, and this isn't, I mean, to stir up any controversy if you send your kids to children's church or, like, feel bad about it. It's just something that for us we've really thought about, and we just, 
we prefer this. We think it's a blessing. A huge blessing. To us, I think it's a blessing to the children as well. Yeah. For all the reasons that you mentioned. I think so. And I do think too, like even in, um, I don't know where it is, but in the Gospels, when the disciples were trying to kind of hustle the children away. And That's Jesus right. was like, no, let them come into me. And this is in the middle of him teaching a bunch of people. Yeah. Grown-ups, yeah. A bunch of, yeah, grown-ups, yeah. Children are people too. That's not <laughs> the distinction I was trying to make. He's teaching a bunch of grown-ups. And he was not only just fine with the interruption, but it's not like he instantly t- turned his sermon, I'm assuming, into like, breaking it down to the kids level necessarily it's like they can learn with everybody else they can be here apart with everyone else and i think it's cool for kids to see that i guess recognize themselves as a part of the church as a whole too and not be like oh well you stay over here and you play with the kids Mm -hmm. it's like no you're a part of the church body and this is how we worship god together and this is how we learn about him together and um, there's obviously a time and place for teaching kids at their level as well. But we like to do that in the home. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. I, that's, I think it is a parent's responsibility to, it can be for sure to do that in the home. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave with this passage. This is a well-known passage from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six and seven. Um, and it never gets old to me. You know, uh, Moses just got, it's Moses, right? That delivers the law. Is that who's talking here? Yes. Moses is delivering the law. To Israel, um, you know, and he's saying now these commandments and statutes and judgments, which the Lord God has commanded to teach you, and He's teaching you so that you might go out into the land and you might prosper. You know, if you if you live according to this law, this is the old covenant, and if you live according to these these rules that God's put in place, it's going to be well with you. And then He goes on to say, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and these words which I command you shall be in thine heart. And then He goes on to say. And these words, which I command thee this day, yeah, shall be in thine heart. I just said that. Dang it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. You got it. Thank you. Um, And then he goes, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And so just the first two places he talks about where you're going to meditate on them and when you're going to recite them is to your children and in your home. Those are the two places, these, this, this huge law that he unveiled, I guess, and laid out for everybody. He's saying, you're going to teach these to your children, and you're going to talk about them in your home. And so as far as what we're learning, what we're growing in, it, I just really think that the Lord has the desire to be that, yes, we learn and we teach it to our children. We're reciting it in our home, and we're pouring it into our children. I love that. Elisha, thank you so much. You're I feel welcome. like that was such an encouraging podcast. Really? And yeah. And it was just so much food for thought. I just love that perspective on the responsibility of a husband to his wife and parents to their children in the home. And then also just the assumption that we are gathering in mass with hmm. other believers to worship and serve the Lord and yeah. learn about him that way. And there's really no reason not to do that. Hmm. And yeah, and that can know. look different. I just really like it. Right. Yeah. It's encouraging. Good. Fantastic. And we get that like church can look way different to a lot of people. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. we've done home church. We've gone to mega churches. We've gone. To, it's not like the size of the body. Right. 
But I do think the intentionality, yeah. it's more like the intentionality of it. Yes, exactly. The purpose of it. Because also, well, we, yeah, whatever. Yes, I agree. I think this it's, it's the reason, yeah, it's the reason that you're getting gritty. together. You're getting together to worship God and to learn and grow. Yes. You can do that in a huge group or you can do it in a small group. And that's the gathering of the saints, I think. Yeah. So anyways, we're, I guess I'm convicted that we do need to be more consistent yes. in our church attendance and not because we're trying to earn righteousness before God, not in this legalistic manner, but because that's just who we are as Christians yep. and what we do. That's right. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, maybe share it on Instagram or t- and tag us if you do. We'd tag love to see so that. Tag us so we see you. Yes. And then we'll reshare it. Oh, that'd be fun. Right on, folks. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.